0: You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here from Metro Vision Studios. Welcome. Welcome to our service. It's great to have you with us. Welcome to our time to study the Word of God. We are excited this morning as we continue in our, uh, in, in our series that we're doing through the, through the Lord's Prayer which is really awesome. Never done that before. So much in there, so many great things, but it's great to have you with us. Welcome friends, family. Welcome San Francisco crew. Welcome Metro Region and everybody else who's tuning in, wherever you're tuning from. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be together, to uh, be able to study the Word together, to be able to learn from God's Word and be transformed by it and have our lives blessed by it. So I'm really excited about this study. It's been a really great study getting in there and learning and unpacking the Lord's Prayer. Um, as you know, last week we actually, or actually it was two weeks ago, we jumped in right in the middle of it because I think with all the stress and we, 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 we studied about the bread of life and which is right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I just felt that was really needed. So we're going to go back and we're going to start at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And of course, this is a very classic prayer, very common prayer, if you grew up at all religious, and many denominations grow up, you grow up, you have to memorize this prayer, you have to learn the prayer, you know, this is the Our Father, some of, some of us we know it as the Our Father. Um, but it's, it's actually a great prayer, it's, it's a fantastic prayer. It's a good prayer for all of us to know. Sometimes, you know, when we're praying and our brains are scattered and we're bouncing all over and it's hard to focus, it's nice to actually have a prayer already written that we can just go through and pray because we know the words and we can focus on the words. Now that, that can have its pitfalls too if we rely on written prayers, but, but sometimes it's nice to have something that you can just focus on and follow and think about everything that you're saying as you say it. So, uh, we're gonna get a running start on this prayer. Um, this was a prayer where basically you know Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and and as i 've said many times, much of what Jesus did was to dismantle bad religion to 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 dismantle bad theology and what is bad theology that 's when people don 't understand God or they misunderstand God, and they attribute qualities to God that are not his qualities you know the, the, that people oftentimes paint God as this angry distant, vengeful God. And that's not at all God. I mean, does God deal with things? Yeah, he deals with things. And when he needs to, he's, he's able to thoroughly deal with things. But for the most part, God, not for the most part, 100% of God is love. And for the most part, as long as we're in a good relationship with him, he just continually blesses us. And and so Jesus was trying to get people to understand, what is God really like? Even today, there's so much misunderstanding about Him. So in the Sermon on the Mount, He's going through and He's teaching. Jesus is teaching people about what is right and what is God really looking for. And in this section, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, He's correcting some of the things that people do religiously that are important to do, but they're doing it in the wrong way. So we jump in, He's teaching the Pharisees, really, and He says, when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Actually, he's teaching his disciples about the Pharisees. Um he's not actually teaching the Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples and he says, "Don't do what they do." He says, uh, "They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others." So so what would happen is is at this time um, and, and to this day, among Orthodox groups, there are three prayers a day. You pray at sunrise, you you have an afternoon prayer, and you have an evening prayer at sunset. And these prayers were prayed every single day. And And a good Jew would make sure he said his prayers every day. But as often happens, you know, people get competitive, people want to show off, people want to look righteous... And unfortunately, oftentimes, they want to look religious more than they want to actually be religious. They want to look right with God more than they really want to be right with God. And as was happening is that people would stand in places so everybody could see them doing their daily prayers. and He says, but when you pray, go into your room... that's the Lord's prayer. That's what we're going to jump into. But prayer was a huge part of any Jew's life. Not only did they do the three prayers, but they had many other prayers. And during those three prayers, they had multiple blessings. They'd start out in the morning with the Shema, Hero Israel, which is the, the prayer that many of us know that prayer. Uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. I mean, they were very committed to prayer. And that's a good thing. I mean, we all should be committed to prayer. You know, I have, a, I have an app on my phone. That reminds me three times a day to pray, and I'm even it even allows me to load up pictures so that like it puts up pictures of my kids, pictures of Michelle, pictures of people that I care about or that I, I want to make sure I'm praying for. And it just, it you know, it's just like a phone call I get and reminding me to pray. And it's great, and it does it three times a day. I'm not doing it to show off, but it's, it's helping me to stay connected to God. You might have seen Orthodox Jews. You know, they they have the little box on the forehead, which because that's because the Bible commands them to put scriptures, they have the bindings on their arms because the Bible says to bind yourself with the word of God. God was very insistent that his people are always surrounded by his word they cover their heads with uh with a, it's called a kippa or a yamacha right that's this little guy right here they put this on their heads to, to as a sign of submission as a sign that, that i submit to god and that it's a sign of humility before the Lord our God. Now, as the church took off, the church actually originally was doing the same things. I mean, we could read in the book of Acts, they went on the times of prayer to go pray. You know, when 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 the apostles were going up the steps and it was the time of prayer. So they kept these, a lot of these same habits. Some of them changed it. Christians don't have to cover their heads. Paul talks about it, that, that we don't have to have our head covered as men because God has covered our head with hair, right? Um, now, there are some traditions that they shave their head and and they actually wear this. Like, like you'll see some monks, the Pope wears one of these. Um, and Jews continue to wear this as a sign of submission when they pray to God. But what... There was something different about Jesus. There was something about different about the way he prayed. And and so they wanted to know. We know from the other gospels that they actually asked him, teach us to pray, show us. So he's telling them, he says, This then is how you should pray. And there is a world of blessings in that prayer, of understanding and what that means. A couple of weeks ago, we did the, the the bread of life. You know, give us this day our daily bread, right? And and we talked about that one, and and you saw how much just loaded just in that statement. You know, the the prayer, it's it's. I think most of us probably grew up knowing that prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, you know, there's a little variance. Some of us know it a little bit different than others. Um, some of us have some difference. Give us our debt. Forgive us our debt as we de- forgive our debtors. Some of us have the added statement, For thine is the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. You know, there's, there's slight variance in the, in the, in, in, in the prayer, but a lot of us grew up with that. And actually, it's probably the, the most well-known prayer around the world. And most of the time it's called the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's called the Our Father, uh, depending on how you grew up. And, you know, when I became a disciple of Jesus, I kind of rejected all memorized prayers, because I grew up having to memorize a bunch of prayers, and I would say them, without really understanding what I'm saying. I would just say them because I was supposed to say them. And obviously that's not the way to pray. I think that there are many things about Jesus that just struck people, that that impressed people. I think the way he preached, you know, they they, they said he, he preached as though he were speaking the words of God and with the authority of God. And I think that that is because Jesus preached from his heart, from his convictions. He preached the truth. I mean, I, I went to many churches growing up. I didn't even know what preaching was. I thought people were just kind of rambling and there was no heart. There was no passion. They were reciting things. And so that's why when I became a disciple, I kind of rejected all that. Now I've kind of come full circle and I can pray some of these prayers with my heart and think about what I'm saying. And that's kind of what we're doing right now by just even going through this. We're learning the heart. Behind the Lord's Prayer. And what is all the meaning in there? Obvious things are that it's a very short prayer. And, and, he, and he even warns us, right? He just warned us that we're not to just babble like pagans. Pagans would have these things. They just go on speaking, 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 speaking. And it's not for our many words that will be heard. What's more important is that we're speaking from our heart. And that we are sincere. I think that's what struck the, uh, the disciples about Jesus. Everything he did was sincere, was authentic. It was real. It was his heart. He was talking to God. It wasn't just going through the motions of prayer. And, and, and through the years, I've learned even with these prayers that are memorized or that are written. And there's lots of different ways to pray. I'm learning all kinds of things about prayer, even now after being a Christian so long. You know, and of course, the classic setting is they would pray in Hebrew. This is the Lord's prayer. In Hebrew. It's a prayer, and I love this prayer. I actually love it in Hebrew because I had to learn every word in it and what it means and all the implications behind it. But, um, but, you know, sometimes it's good to, if you speak another language, pray in another language because you have to think about all the words. But sometimes it's, sometimes we just need to slow down. We just need to stop and think about what am I saying to God? And for that reason, sometimes I'll even write my prayers so that I have time to think about what I'm saying. So there's a lot of different ways to pray. The main thing, the, the, the core of this is that you're speaking to God from heart to heart. You're communicating with God. I mean, you if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody and they keep looking somewhere else or they're looking at their watch or you see them kind of gloss over and you know that they left you, they checked out. They're thinking about other stuff. They're not really listening. They're not really paying attention. Or somebody's just saying, uh 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 but you can tell by their face. They're not really listening. You're not really engaging. And that's frustrating in any relationship. How much more is it for God who loves us and does so much for us if we won't even give him attention when we talk to him? You know, if we're just reciting things or we're going through the motions. So I think the authenticity of Jesus' prayer, the honesty of his prayer, the humility of his prayer uh, was remarkable, was, was was just absolutely stood out. And um, so we go right from the beginning, the, verse part of the, the first part of the prayer, in verse 5 of chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I mean, you know, I love this because right, right. He just, it's radical from the very beginning, right, right, right out of the chute. He calls God Abba. And that is not how people referred to God. He refers to God as dad. I mean, that is so incredible that he is, this is how you should pray dad. You know, I mean, this is, uh, just, this was radical. Nobody else did this. And yet, the crazy thing is, this is how God has always presented himself. You think about it. God is under no obligation to love us. He's under no obligation to take care of us. He's under no obligation to make the sun rise every day, or to, 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 to you know, let the rivers run, or the ocean keep in its place, or, and he's, he's got no obligation to us. But he chooses to love us, because he is love. And he chooses to present himself as a father. There are scriptures in the Old Testament that reference him as a father, as a loving father. But that's not how people, on a practical basis, looked at God. They looked at God as the great creator of the universe who is at a distance. And, and it's not bad to look at God as the creator of the universe, the all-powerful, the omniscient, the, the omni-conscious, the, the, all the attributes of God. Those are wonderful studies. And to have a fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and to understand the greatness of God. But at the end of the day, what God really wants is a relationship with us. And how we are to think of him is as a good father, which is increasingly challenging because the family structure has decayed so much over the ages. And to, in this day and age, family structures, healthy family structures, are very rare. Healthy relationships with parents and children are very rare, and it's very unfortunate. But in a healthy, I mean, we can imagine a healthy, loving father if we didn't have one. You know, and those of us who had one, you need to thank God for that and count that as a great blessing of life. That you know, I, I've I've often been told all the things I've been through growing up. I should be pretty damaged. I should be pretty hurt by all this, and you know t- certainly i 've had my wounds and my heal- healing necessary, but I think what was really saving me through a lot of the hardships that I went through was the fact that I had a loving father and I had a loving mother that i had I could come home to parents that I knew that loved me, and that got me through a lot of tragedies, a lot of difficult times in life, and God chooses to present himself to us. As Abba, Abba, our Father, Dad. I mean, how incredible is that? The creator of the universe, the one, the all-knowing one, presents himself as Dad. And that's the relationship. And the truth is, it's incredibly important that we understand the implications of that. If God is our Father, if God is our Father... If we understand that he's dad, we understand him in his role. We understand many things more. We understand that we are safe. God, good fathers love their children and protect them. That's what he does. That's who he is. That's how he wants us to approach him. The confidence of a child running to dad in times of trouble. Or a child just... Being safe in dad's arms. If you can remember way back to when you were little, and for some of us that wasn't long ago, and for some of us that was a long time ago, but if you can remember back to when you were five or six years old and dad picked you up and held you and you wanted to just fall asleep in his arms, what an incredible feeling of peace, of security, of comfort, you knew you were protected. Dad had all the answers. Dad could defend you from any evil person or anything that happens. Dad could 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 save you. And that feeling that of 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 being protected. And and I, even as I say it, I, I realize that a lot of us didn't have that. But we can imagine it. We can imagine it. You know, I mean, my mom my mother remarried when I was about six. And that's the point where I started having that dad. Before that, I didn't. And I had no imagination of that. My mom, my family, fortunately I had uncles that that stepped in to help me. but, But I didn't have it. And when I did have it, it was remarkable. If we understand that God is our father and he loves us. If he's our father, we also should understand that we can trust him. Because any loving father protects their children. He knows what's best for his children. He's always out doing for his children. And that's God. God is the the best dad, the best father anyone could ever imagine. And in fact, to those who didn't have a father, he sets out to be our father. So that everyone has a loving, good dad, a good father. And and, And we should be able to trust him. If he's that in our life, we can trust him. He knows what's best for us and we can be confident in him. Number three, we must, it means we must obey him. You know, I mean, every son, every daughter has to obey dad. He has authority over us. He is our father. We need to respect and obey him. And that's the way things work. That makes the universe run great. When we don't do that, we have problems, And, 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 and he has that authority. We have to recognize that God is my father. And what my father says, I do Jesus. Everything he said, he said, is what the father told him to say. Everything he did is what the father told him to do. And he obeyed the father in all things that, and he is all powerful himself. But yet he knew that the role he was in as a human was to obey the father. Number four, if God is our father, then we're all brothers and sisters. Then we're all a huge family. Everyone, if God is all our fathers, then everyone around us, in one sense, is a brother and a sister. You know, I know that. You know, well, but within the church, you know, you get baptized and you become part of the very special family of God, the the holy nation. I get that, but and that is absolutely true, and that is sacred, and that is good. But on another level, all of mankind are children of God. And not not on the level of salvation and doctrinal purity and things like that. But on the level of humanity that God is father to all of us. From all backgrounds, all races, all religions, all ethnicities, all skin colors, all all people are children of God. Because why? Because we're all made in his image. You know, God made man in his image. Not man as in male, but man as in mankind, male and female. Then he made them. Male and female, so we 're all brothers and sisters, and we are therefore we 're all family, and we must take care of each other you know i I, I, I did this the the lesson on justice, and that comes out loud and clear in the scriptures that God expects us to take care of each other to help each other you know in my in our family in the creole house, everybody knows God or dad and mom expect the kids to be kind to each other, to help each other. And we've told them, listen, when we die and move on, you've got to help each other. You've got to be there for each other. You've got to help one another. And you better, or we're going to come back and haunt you or something. But but we want them to have a, have each other when we're gone. So that father, that's that's such an incredible, wonderful way that God presents himself to us. He predestined us. For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. See, what, what God wanted, what his pleasure was, is to adopt us. You know, those of us who've been adopted, we know how significant this is. When I was 12 years old, my mom and dad told me, my mom, my mom and dad said, we, w- Dad wants to adopt you and make you legally his son. And and I remember at first I thought that's weird. I've always been your son, you know. We'd already been together for about 6 years and and it seemed kind of weird to me, but I said, "Okay, sounds good to me," really not understanding the implications of it. And it wasn't until the day we had a court date, we had to appear before a judge, and the judge went looked over the papers and he said, "Okay." He said, "You know, Daniel Morris, this is your son, Robert Morris. That was actually my name for a while. Robert Morris and Robert Morris, this is your your father, Daniel Morris." And I remember that it it just, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks, that he chose to be my father. He chose to adopt me. And all of a sudden, I just started crying. And, I mean, I walked in typical, you know, 12, 13, you know, not not thinking about much and thinking about what, you know, what I'm going to do that weekend or what's going to happen with my friends or whatever. And it just hit me. And then we went out to, to, after the court ceremony, we went out to lunch and celebrated and I was just walking on clouds that he loved me and adopted me and gave me his name, you know, and, 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 because he cared so much about me, he wanted to be formally my father and me to formally be his son. That was such an incredible moment. And that is what God has done with us. He has gone through the steps to makes us, make us all formally his sons and daughters. And it says in, in 2 Corinthians 6, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I mean, the creator of the universe says, I want to be your dad. And I want you to be my kid. And I'm going to take care of you. I mean, how awesome is that? That's, that's, that's what's in that simple little less sentence, our father in heaven. And of course, we've got the prodigal sons and prodigal daughters out there. We got the parable of the, the father who goes out, the shepherd who seeks the sheep, the, the woman who finds searches till she finds her coin and the, and the father who welcomes the son who's wandered off. So we are adopted, we're we're all the prodigal sons and daughters. At some point we come to our senses and we turn to God. That is God's will. That is our role. And that's how all of this is set up, which is really amazing, which is really inspiring. And really, I hope this is encouraging you, because it's pretty encouraging stuff about God. So, our Father in heaven, that's the first line. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Or holy is your name. The name of God is a big deal. Uh, Psalm 9, nine 10 says, Those who know your name put their trust in you. To know God, to know His name is a big deal. In ancient times, you didn't give your name away easily. You only told your name to those you trusted, and you, and you were inviting them into a relationship. In Hebrew, the name means the nature, the character, the personality of the person. Insofar so far as it is to, to known or revealed to us, it's a big deal to know someone's name. It's a big deal to know God's name. A name is key to understanding and a connection to that person. So God revealing his name to us is a big deal. That applies a connection with him Today, you know, we don't care about names. We're not that, you know, we're, we're living and, you know, our phones are listening to us. Our iPads are listening to us. Our, our you know, we, we have no privacy. But in ancient times, you protected yourself and you were cautious. Because to give somebody your name gave them, in essence, a connection and even a power over you. Or a power in your life. So it's a big deal for God to share his name with us. So he says, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Or well, that means holy is your name. Who is God? He is the Holy One. And His name is holy. I have written on there in Hebrew, His name. This is His name. It's called the tetragammon. It's the, the, it's the, the four letters that God puts His name as. And this is all over the Old Testament, but you never hear it said. Because it is holy because it's sacred. It's his sacred name. It's very important. In the 10 commandments, he says, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord, your God. Or some of you probably know that scriptures do not use the Lord's name in vain. That doesn't mean don't cuss with it. Although that's very wrong, absolutely. But actually the truth is most people who are out there cussing don't even know the Lord's name. They, they use the word God, but that's not his name. God is not his name. His name is the four letters of Hebrew. And in fact, Orthodox Jews, they won't even write God. They, they write G slash D, or they call him Shema, which is the, 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 the name. It literally, that's what they call him, the name, the, the name this, the name that. Because they will not utter his name. His name, Y-H-W-H, which we pronounce, well, I'll get to that. Where'd we get this name? Well, it started out with Moses. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And this was God introducing himself back to the Israelites. You know, God knew Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph. He, he knew all of them. But as the generations of Joseph's descendants in, in Egypt went along, they lost contact with God. And only a few of them knew. It's amazing how in one generation, people can lose contact with God. It's so important that we're teaching our children that Shema prayer that I, I I referenced earlier. You notice he says, "Love the Lord your God with all heart, mind, soul, and strength," and teach your children. Why? Because the, the the holiness of God has to be passed on generation to generation. They had lost that in Egypt. They knew there was a God, but they didn't know anything about Him, and they lost connection with Him. And so here, God is sending Moses. And he's got to give him a name. And he gives him the name I am. Or another way of saying it is I, I, the, the I aming one, the ising one, is what my professor had said in class. He said, God is the ising one. He is and he will be. And the closest word to that is, I'll tell you in a second. So we have the Y-H-W, YHYH. And it's, of course, Hebrews read from right to left, not left to right. So it's Yahweh. And and there, there we people kinda of took a left turn along the ages um because the Jews will not say that word. They will not say Yahweh. They will you will not hear them say. So the truth is we don't even know exactly how it's pronounced. Um and some scholars guessed. And so what they did is the word that a lot of Jews will use is Adonai, right? In fact the prayers that we that we um pray that are from the old Testament, they will not say the Y H W H or the, they will say, um, Adonai, which means Lord. It means Lord in Hebrew. And, and so somebody came up with the idea of taking the vowels from Adonai and sticking them into the Y H W H. And they came up with Yahuwah or Yahovah or Jehovah. That's how we got the term Jehovah. And and as you know, and because it was in the, in the King James Bible, it became the standard way to call God. That was kind of became his name, Jehovah. But that's actually not correct because they just made up this thing of dropping the vowels into those letters. We really don't know. The closest in Hebrew would be Yahweh, Yahweh. And, and that's a lot closer. To to now, do we know that that's exactly it? No, we still don't. But we know, we have the letters, and and we have the general idea because it means who is and will be, okay? And that is exactly the point that God was making: the ising one, the one who is. He said, "I am Yahweh," or "I am the one who is and will be." And by the way, most people heard the Bible. In Greek, because of the Septuagint, it's, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures in Jesus' time. So most people, that's the Bible they heard. So when Jesus would say, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd. The term ego eimi" absolutely stood out to them because that's the term used where God introduces himself to Moses. I am the one who is and will be the Yahweh and, 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 you know, we don't use it a lot. I don't preach with it a lot. One, because most people don't know it and it sounds kind of weird to them and they wonder, you know, are we a weird group or something? But they're just unfamiliar with it. But that is the name. And that's the best guess on how to pronounce it. Yahweh. Or sometimes it's just short. Yah, right? Yah. Or, or, or sometimes that Y is a little bit of a J. Ja. Ja. More like the, the, the Spanish. Uh, why. And so sometimes they just call him Jah, you know, short for God. And the word praise is Hallel, Okay. Hallel. So we say Hallelujah, praise God. Or we say Hallelujah, right? That's how we say it in English. But that's all it means is praise God. Praise our God, the God that we know. So our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that first line is just, it's all about God and you, your relationship with him. Our father who is in heaven, the father who is in that heavenly realm, which means he's outside of time, he's outside of space, he's always with us. Holy is his name. He presents himself as dad He can be counted on at all times, everywhere, all the time, omniscient, omnipresent. And his name is holy. And you have been given his name because you have been invited into a relationship with him. And that's what everything about what Jesus preached and what he said was about that, was about this love he has for us and inviting us in. You know, it's it's. If it the, the prayer that Jesus prayed was just so remarkable, it was so different than what they were used to hearing, the recitations. And, you know, Jesus, again, was correcting bad religion. And it wasn't that, you know, he said, go into your house and pray. Don't do it on the street corners where everybody to show off and to look religious. And, 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 and by the way, just as a footnote, it's not a teaching that, he's not saying that you can't be in public prayer or that you have to, you know... Hide behind the, uh, a closed door before you pray. Um, some people go there and they say, Oh, no, you shouldn't be praying in public or, or the giving. You know, he talks about, about, you know, giving to the Lord. He said that should be done in secret. And again, it's not that you have to hide it. It's just don't be boastful. Don't be trying to look religious. Be spiritual. Bad religion is all about how you look. Real spirituality is all about who we are who you are, being with God, being of God, being in God, being in the Lord. It's who we be, to say it directly, who we are, not what we do. And that's, that's walking with God. What a beautiful prayer it is. First line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Avinu sheba shemayim, kadesh shemcha. Holy is your name. You know, there's a classic story. And it's a guy who uh, was trying to sell a violin. And so he took it to the auction. And he's trying to sell it. And, you know, violins are expensive. But it was an old violin. And you could see that it was pretty old and pretty worn. And he... Try to get money for it, but nobody wanted to offer him even half of what it was worth. And a guy walks, an old guy walks up to him and says, let me see your violin. And he picks up the violin and he starts to play it and the most beautiful music comes out. And it just fills the room and everybody is just like, wow, this is incredible. See, he was a master violinist. And soon as he was done... All the hands flew up. Everybody wanted to buy the violin. And they offered twice what it was worth as they got into a bidding war. What was the difference? Same violin. But that violin in the hands of a master was beautiful. Was worth so much. And that's us in the hands of God. We give our lives Our talents, our abilities, our gifts, our time, our money, our will, our hearts, our minds, our souls. And we put them in God's hands. The master. The one who is the expert. And we let him lead our lives. And that gives us this beautiful life that he intended to have for us. That's what the prayer is. It's an invitation to be with God. God bless you. Be with God. Be blessed. Buen You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.